Hi everybody, it's Ford here. I just wanted to thank our patrons who have been supporting us and making this all possible real quick before we begin this episode of Dungeon Amateur. So thank you to Saffron, Prozac Haven, Olive Adowolf, Jupiter McIntyre, Juno, Janaloni, Emery Silvers, Dylan Bochamp, Connor Fox, Adrian Frisbee, Ollie Science, and Crow. And an extra special thank you to those last two because they are $10 patrons and we especially couldn't do it without them, but just a general thank you to all those people. Now, enjoy the episode. Do you know how many times I've already heard it depends on the party? It's so funny. <laughs> I should do like a counter. Hey, Jack, put a counter Hi, Jack. in. Jack, put a- my beloved. <laughs> Jack. Put in a counter for every time someone says it depends on the party. Because it's gonna happen a lot. We're yeah. only This is technically the second episode, but this is the third episode I've recorded. You're gonna hit um you're gonna hit one counter for it depends on the party, and then another counter for it depends on the player. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> Can we get that right down the middle? <laughs> uh Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dungeon Amateur. In case you don't remember, this is a show in which uh, I'm making a one-shot episode by episode, and every episode we're talking to people who are better at dungeon mastering than I am. And today we have brought... (laughs) Today today we have Adrian. Would you like to introduce yourself properly? Hi, my name is Adrian. I have been a game master now for about four and a half years, and I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons for about... 10 years um i mostly run D- D 5e monster of the week and i have designed my own ttrpg called found feelings that i play just within my circle where where might people know know who, where might people know you from um you might follow me on tiktok because that's where people have decided they want to perceive me um <laughs> despite the fact that every day i log in and people wish that i didn't um <laughs> I do every now and then um, still get people who recognize me from Tumblr back in the uh, back in the olden days of Homestuck, but mostly you can find me on TikTok at Shonen Ojo. All right, and for for a little icebreaker, because you mentioned earlier in in perhaps the cold open, perhaps the part that the editors decide to cut out. This is a very fun game I like to play called "Is the editor actually going to keep that part in?" Uh, sure. You're you're in law. What would you say is the most inane rule that you can think of? Inane rule in stupid, law? Stupid, stupid, um, trite, whatever you please. See, the thing is, is that um, a lot of laws exist only for the purpose of um, you not being able to sue the city if something happens. So, for example, in the city that I live in, it is technically illegal to wear high heels downtown because we have a lot of grates. Um, Mm -hmm. And the only reason that that law exists is so if your heel goes into the grate and you break your ankle, you can't sue the city. I never knew that was the reason for those exist. That's yep. that makes so much sense, though. Mm-hmm. It's because you chose to do it to yourself. <laughs> oh my gosh, that does that makes things so much clearer. Yeah. Uh, my personal favorite. Uh, I'm not in law, but I was in public school, which is might as well be <laughs> might as well be the same thing. Truly, uh, my favorite thing is whenever uh, people would wear jeans. Uh, no. It was junior high, and we weren't allowed to have our phones out in the hallway. And if you mm-hmm. had your phone out in the hallway, a random teacher who you don't know would take your phone. 
Yeah. Like, I, I remember this so vividly because my sister's math teacher took my phone one time because I had it mm-hmm. out on top of my binder. And I was like, why? Do, why? I, yeah. I... <laughs> In college, I had a teacher slap my phone out of my hand once. That's a real thing that happened. <laughs> Public school is a trip. Because it's a bunch, whenever you're a child, it's a bunch of adults telling you that you are not a person and you are under their control. So mm-hmm. it's very, Absolutely. it's so wild and fun. Anyways, as you can tell by today's episode, uh, or at least the icebreaker, uh, if you didn't read the title, we're going to be talking about rules. We're going to be talking about rules. We're going to be talking about understanding them and perceiving them and all those fun things. Yep, that was my dog being there let in. There it was. <laughs> that was my dog being let in. Hi, Oliver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking about rules. We're going to be talking about, like, how you understand them, how you perceive them, how you deal with them amongst your party, all that stuff, because people hate rules is the thing. And people who are learning how to DM are scared of the rules, because I'm not sure if you've noticed this about D&D. It's a very old game with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So I guess we should kind of start from the top and then kind of go down like think about it that way because i sent you last night well two nights ago a very very long list of just questions that people like either that people have told have asked me directly or told me or people things that i came up with so mm-hmm. i guess let's start with the one that i saw like right off the top which was uh how how do you understand how characters work you know, I feel like keeping track of your ca- character's very player's various traits. What do you keep? How do you build? How do you help your characters build character? How do you help your players build characters? How do you keep that stuff straight? Okay, so the way that I have started to keep things organized is even if I'm playing exclusively in person, I set up a Discord server to keep all of my information um, set aside with all of my players in it. And in that server, I always have a channel sometimes labeled something like classified, no peeking, something like that, and we all just agree to respect each other, in which all of my players will drop their character sheets. So that way they are all compiled in one easy place that I can reference at any point while we're playing. Um, so that I don't have to go searching for them. They don't have to be connected to anything like D&D Beyond. They're just right there, easy to access where I can find them. Also, with, like, remembering things about rules, um, I will say you will surprise yourself. Um, By the time you get to the point where you're DMing things, you will remember a lot more than you think you will. Really just talking about players and their characters um, will will begin to settle that stuff in your head um and remembering it tends to just come with time do you keep that as like a part of your dm notes like i feel like the uh, having a laptop is probably a really good idea i imagine like Mm -hmm. behind the dm screen if you're doing it in person um yeah i actually have a little notebook that i was reaching for and just dropped so i'll show you my one for monster of the week instead um (laughs) I keep everything in just a little bitty notebook, just like that. And I don't ever write down my players' stats. Um, Most of the time, I think that you should 
familiar familiarize yourself with the concept of asking your players questions and not being ashamed to ask your players those questions because why burden yourself with remembering every little detail when I can just ask and said hey what's your x modifier what's your ac something like that because right. at the end of the day there's a sort of diversion of responsibility and it shouldn't have to be your responsibility to remember every little thing about your players characters right and what about like leveling up like that's another thing i heard very frequently is like people like oh i don't understand how when you're supposed to level people up i don't understand milestones versus experience i don't understand all of that okay I operate exclusively on Milestone, um, although there are some DMs who like to run it a little bit old school and do experience points, but if you want to do EXP, you have to kind of stick to existing material that already have all achievements assigned to a certain total of experience points. Um, Milestones, I usually have certain things when I'm looking at an arc of a campaign is I'll set up certain milestones within that timeline that will trigger a level up. And then I'll have certain events that no matter where they occur, if they occur, they trigger trigger a level up as well. And so normally Mm -hmm. I have my players level up at the end of a major arc. Mm -hmm. Um, but then one of my main milestones is, for example, like, if a player character dies, everyone levels up the next session. Um, Hey guys, sorry about your friend. Here's an extra (laughs) level. It's funny, because one of my players quite literally sent me a piece of art of, there's someone laying on their front, there's like a sword sticking out of their back, and it's a picture of me squatting like this, looking down (laughs) at it, and then going, do you want to level up? It reminds me of this one, like, there, there's this thing that went, there's, like, this scene from, like, a Minecraft, like, video game that went around, like, a story-based one, where, like, their pig companion dies, and they, like, it turns into a pork chop, and they get XP yeah. from it. <laughs> yeah. That's what it so, feels like. Yeah, I tend to, I tend to level all of the party at the same time, even if a major achievement or milestone within the group only happens to one person, just to kind of maintain a level of fairness. You, mm-hmm. things will get out of hand if you have a multi-leveled party. You want to always keep people kind of the same across the board, um, because it'll be easier for you when picking enemies and things like that um, if everybody is on an equal basis, even if the milestone only occurs with one character. Right. That makes sense, yeah. Especially because, like, whenever you hit certain levels, like, there's things that just happen that, like, make things vastly different. Like, if Mm -hmm. someone is, like, someone being on level two versus, like, level three, that's already a vast difference because of, like, things you get. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, some classes, they get all their traits at level one, others get traits at level five. It really, it's once again, it's things that you won't realize you remember until you start talking about it with someone else. Like, I, I play and I DM, I can tell you, by now, pretty much, like, everybody gets their last thing at either level 17 or level 20, depending on your class. Um, like, fighters get their last action surge at level 20, whereas clerics get their last class feature at level 17. It's just one of those things that will start to stick with you with time. Mm-hmm. So would you recommend, and this is, this is the one that everybody thinks they have to do, 
would you recommend having to read the Dungeon Master's Guide? I have point? never, I, I own it. The only thing that I have used the Dungeon Master's Guide for is the list of magic items and the little tab about the different planes. I have never read it backwards, ba- uh, cover to end. I don't plan on doing it. Um, if Wizards of the Coast wants to tell me how to run my game, they can come to my house and run it for me. Um, I am here to spit on Gary Gygax's grave. I don't care what he wants. <laughs> this is my house. Yeah, because it's a very common thing I see where people will, like, buy the Dungeon Master's Guide and be like, oh, I need to read all of this right no. now. No. I think if somebody wants to read it, I mean, more power to them. Um, but imagine having the um, imagine having the attention span to do that could not be me. No, no, I do not take Adderall for that. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my like that was my thought process as well. Whenever I first got into D anD D in like twenty eighteen, like I was like, ah, oh, you have to read the Dungeon Master's Guide. But then, obviously, as I got older, I was like. This is stupid. Why would I want to do that? Mm-hmm. I'm reaching for... I have a couple of my source books down here. Yeah. How would you suggest treating it, then? Like, treating the books or the, <laughs> the PDFs? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, how would you I'm suggest not, treating that? I'm not telling you to pirate the books, but what I am telling you is that there's plenty of comparable resources online available to you for free. Um, I yeah, think we, that you should... Go ahead. We here at Brain Represents would never endorse p- piracy. However, if you happen to find another route, we're not... St- I mean, if the opportunity presents itself, who are we yeah. to tell you no? Um, but no, I recommend using the source books as mm. a resource if you so choose to. Um they are there to make your life easier, not more difficult. And if you are capable of creating a story just in your own little brain space, in your little word doc, man, more power to you. If you need the book, then go for it. I think that um, what helps me instead is um, having them for a baseline point of reference. Sorry, there was a fly. Um, <laughs> baseline point of reference, but outside of that... Um, kind of just go crazy man like mm-hmm. if you see something in a video game that you think is interesting and you're like man that would be really cool to put in a D campaign hey what's stopping you um yes i was actually gonna that's such a good transition because i was about to say i would i was thinking because actually am i gonna tell you this because i'm not sure if you're gonna be in the part of the if you're gonna be in the campaign okay i would love to yes <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna su- decide my words very carefully here. There's a part in Resident Evil Village that I think is so cool, and I'm like, I want to steal that for a one shot. You're just saying, oh yeah, just straight up steal. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, at the at the end of the day, what is Dungeons and Dragons except a conglomerate of stolen folklore and other authors' ideas? So. I mean, if you want to play D&D, I think that there's nothing more true to the spirit of the game itself than seeing something really, really neat in another ca- in another game or in another movie or anything like that and just being like, <laughs> take? <laughs> um, that's, I mean, that's what I've done multiple times and I don't plan on stopping, so. 
No. That, I mean, that's sort of how all, all writing works at that, too. Because it's like, has there ever been an original idea since... I don't know. There's, like, had to be a point whenever people stopped having original ideas. I don't think there... I don't think such a thing exists. Yeah. At the end of the day, all ideas and thoughts are brought on by other things that exist. Exactly. Everything's, everything comes from inspiration and inspires, 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 and so on and so forth. Um, we attribute so much of our high fantasy world to Tolkien... Um, but you don't see you don't see an official source book about um, about the Lord of the Rings universe, even though so much of it, so much of D and D, can be attributable. At yes, is attributable to um, J.R.R. Tolkien and his work. So right. Uh, whenever it comes like whenever it comes to, like combat and stuff like that, because we kind of like got into that for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. What how did. How do you kind of go about making that? How do you go, like, challenge rating and, like, how do you make a, a fight that is fair? All mm-hmm. the, all that fun nitty-gritty stuff that, uh, that, that, like, <laughs> that gay people like to avoid. Yes. Okay. So, I think that there is an unspoken universal rule amongst DMs in which we, every single day, we go and we open the monster manual and we say... I don't know what challenge rating is, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Um, The way that I tend to set up my combat is I first decide, like, what purpose does the combat serve? Um, Is it just a roadblock, or does it further the story? Most of the time, that's going to sort of, um, most of the time, that's going to sort of inform your choices on what sort of enemy that your characters are fighting. Um... If you want a roadblock, you're thinking probably more something along the lines of humanoid bandits, where if you're thinking about something that uh, furthers the story, then it's going to be something plot-specific, either monsters or cultists or whatever that might be. I think a really easy tip is, let's say that you're you're wanting to do one really cool, one really big boss that you want people to fight. Um... A lot of times, I have the the monster manual here. You can see how much I use it for all the tabs that are in it. But Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times you'll find that official monsters, um, in comparison to your party, uh, their hit points are actually really low. Um, The monster manual scales hit points based on average rather than um, dice and what you would actually roll. And Mm -hmm. so... What I always do is I go to that quick reference little tab that I have in my uh, Discord servers, and I total all of my players' HP. So, like, you know, like 140 plus 87 plus whatever up in a calculator. I get that total, and then I just round it up to the next, like, nice pretty number. And mm-hmm. that's, usually the, that's usually the amount of hit points that I'll give a large boss. Oh, that's smart. Life hacks <laughs> DMing hacks with Adrian. Also, um, just a little thing, if you're like me and you're bad at math, um, we're very tempted to write down, like, I always, when I'm doing combat, even if I'm on Discord, something like that, I always keep me my little dry erase board, and I write down, like, I write down my boss and any NPCs, and this is a little grid, and I put down their status effects and things like that, but it's very tempting to write down that HP and every single time they get hit, let's say they have 150 hit points, you're, you're tempted to, like, minus 12, minus 17, stuff like mm-hmm. that. 
If you instead just keep that number kind of sitting there and then on its own total start adding it instead, it is so much easier to do like 12 plus 10 plus whatever until the damage just totals the amount of 150. It's a lot easier to keep track of rather than subtracting it. I'm not joking whenever I say... I, th- I think my mind just did a cartwheel thinking about that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, how did I not consider that? It's so obvious. It makes it a lot easier. It really, really does. Um, also, just keeping a written, um, a written order of initiative and things like that. Um, the way that I build fair fights is if I want to give them something really big and interesting, I try to give the party at least one NPC that's about two or three levels higher than the rest of the group to kind of balance it out. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the days, at the end of the day, um, low-level parties don't always want to sit down and fight hordes of goblins or human bandits. Sometimes they want to get straight to the dragons and the beholders. But you can't always just throw something like that at a like a level three party and so mm-hmm. instead you hand them like a cleric who's like level seven or eight that they met in the town prior that can keep the party up but still let them kind of go for their white whale um they get and their feel, little their mini boss yeah, exactly like you want to give your players fights that feel like they are achieving something because combat can be stressful and they you want them to feel kind of proud of what they did by the end and so kind of even if you overshoot i promise every single dm you have ever played with and ever met is guilty of adding or subtracting hit points to their enemy in the middle of the fight um, so you're just saying there's no shame in just knocking some off or adding some if need I to. Com- I completely feel that way. I think what's very important is paying attention to your players and seeing if they're starting to get frustrated or not or if they're starting to feel overwhelmed. Because you can see that a lot in just the way that people... Some people need a little bit more time to prepare their spells and do things like that in combat. And you can tell when people are starting to get frustrated. And so if you ignore certain things, like I gave an ancient blue dragon to a level eight party. And um, I just decided to ignore the damage immunity to non-magical weapons. Um, Give them a fair shot for some of them that were pure melee fighters. And that really helps. It helps mm-hmm. them knock down the damage, things like that. Um, and I find what also helps, because I work with a group who of people who get very overstimulated and very overwhelmed very easily, is that when you have your initiative written down, um, it helps me as a player and it helps a lot of my players as they go, where um, I'll use some of my player characters' names just to make it a little bit easier. Like if I have... Ren and Kelmyris and Mia up in the order, I would say, okay, it's Ren's turn right now. After her is going to be Kelmyris, and then after him is going to be Mia. So that way people have a little bit of time to start thinking about their turn before we just go right to them in combat. Because most of the time your players are not writing down when it's their turn in initiative. They don't really pay right. attention to that. They're just paying attention to what's going on. Okay. 
how do you account for like damage and stuff of like physical objects or incidents that aren't exactly monsters like fall damage and all that fun non and all that fun stuff Mm -hmm. okay so i think traditionally fall damage is 1d8 for every 10 feet Mm -hmm. um a lot of times um and i think i feel this way about a lot of rules um i feel like i'm gonna catch myself saying this a lot whatever seems right to you in the moment is probably what's gonna go over the best so like for example like i've got a character who is like i've got a character who's a rogue in my party who's just fell they don't have slow fall like a monk does but rogues are very very dexterous Mm -hmm. um if I think that it's the right move to say, like, maybe the DC for the um, acrobatics check is a little bit lower for her than it would be for, let's say, like, the cleric in heavy armor. Um, it really depends case by case on if somebody's falling, like, who's falling from how high did they get pushed or did they trip? Because mm-hmm. um, if they get pushed... You're thinking they're going to be moving backwards. You've got a little... It's going to be a little bit harder to get yourself flipped around and stuff like that to be able to roll out of your fall. But if somebody just flip, just slips off of something sideways, they're going to be going down feet first, probably. And so it's a little bit easier to justify being like, oh, well, you hit a like a DC 15 dexterity save, you'll fall with no damage type deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That that makes sense. Like, just feel feel it out. Yeah, yeah. So much of D&D is just kind of looking at the situation based on the player and based on what they are capable of and the types of things. Like, you'll have characters who have backgrounds as being acrobats and stuff like that. So, obviously, it's going to make sense that they might be a little bit better at catching their fall. I have mm-hmm. a... um. I DM'd for someone who played a tabaxi who told me that cats always land on their feet, and I'm like, so true, King. Absolutely. (laughs) I always operate on a rule with my players that if my player can explain to me why they should be able to do something, I will let them do it. I mean, I would absolutely let someone do that if they just told me cats always land on their feet. I'd be like, damn, you're right. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I was like, you know what? You're right. (laughs) I can't argue with that logic. Like, whenever it comes to, like, accounting for roles and stuff, like, how do you, like, decide, like, for example, let's say, like, you're trying to decide, like, what check to use. Like, Mm -hmm. there's, like, ambiguous situations in which you're, like, what, uh, like, someone is trying to steal uh, something while also trying to, like, charm them. Like, how do you decide, like, what's performance versus what's deception, like, et cetera, and so on. Like, how do you define what checks go where? So... Um, the easiest example of this is, like, the deception persuasion performance type deal. Deception, the only, t- um, I will, I'll ask for deception if somebody is telling just a bold-faced lie. Okay. If, some- if someone is saying something that is factually untrue, then that's when they're going to be rolling a deception check. But if you're just trying to convince someone of a situation that isn't necessarily false, but certainly um, stretching the truth a little. That's going to be a persuasion check. 
Mm. Whereas performance is like a performance, you're not trying to divert attention away. You're trying to divert attention to you. And so you're trying to make a big deal out of something you're doing. Um, and so then I would normally, then I would normally um, attribute that to performance. Although some DMs just make it easier on themselves and only use performance in situations that um, involve the arts. So if it's something like, you know, telling story like telling a story or singing a song or drawing something something like that that's sometimes when people would just choose to do a performance check rather than a persuasion check okay so it's more like a case-by-case basis of like a Mm -hmm. determining like where the where the nuance lies like is it a is it like a deceptive act are you like outright lying or are you just trying to make someone believe you yes exactly And a similar vein to that um, is that I've played with DMs who rule by, um, like, intimidation checks or charisma checks. Mm -hmm. However, I have also, I have played with DMs who, people who play big scary barbarians, stuff like that, um, will sometimes allow you to swap that instead of a charisma check, making it a strength check. Right. In which you are, you're trying to intimidate them with the just the sheer kind of brute nature of your existence. Mm-hmm. And so there's definitely a bit of fluidity there in which you can swap modifiers and things like that for when the check serves it. All right. And how do you kind of decide whenever a check feels appropriate? Like... Um... So... There are definitely times where you can forgo a check, um, but it's when somebody, I usually rule it when, when somebody is doing something that requires more than one sentence to explain is when I start to require a check, unless it's something obvious, like, I go and pick the lock, like, obviously that's gonna require a check, but if it's like, but if you are, like, like, if you're telling a, like, telling a, like, an innkeeper, something like that, like, if you're telling them just a simple statement of fact, um, it takes, like, less than a sentence, or if you're not trying to get them to do anything, then you don't need a check for it. But if you're saying, like, hello, innkeeper, I need to go into your back room for this reason, um, then you're gonna need to start rolling some persuasion checks. You, it's any time that, you are affecting um, affecting something about the environment in the situation that wouldn't be able to happen naturally without some kind of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that you would put a level of effort into is when you're going to start going into skill check territory. Okay, so whenever you're, like, putting some obvious thought or effort into it, uh, like the character is, that's the moment you're like, okay, yes. give, me, give me a strength check, give me an athletics check, etc. and yes. so on. Yes, exactly, exactly. So what, this is such a specific question, but I just realized there's a strong bit of like a very thin line between athletics and strength. Where do you define that? I was actually about to say that. Okay. I I prepared an answer for this question. I actually thought about it. Um, (laughs) So I require a strength check anytime someone is just trying to very quickly muscle through something. So, for example, if someone is, um, let's say you got pinned under something, for example, you're just trying to muscle through 
Um, you're just trying to push yourself out. Mm-hmm. Um, or you've hit a barrier where it's a bit harder to walk through. You're just trying to muscle through something very quickly. Whereas athletics, you are trying to enforce an athletic feat against someone. You make athletics mm-hmm. checks, for example, when you're going to grapple someone. The way that a Mm -hmm. grapple works is that you first have to roll to hit the person's AC and then you roll a athletics check to get them locked into the grapple. So you're enforcing a feat of strength against something rather than just trying to push something out for yourself. So Um, pushing a door versus like arm wrestling. Yes. Yes, exactly. So you are, you're manipulating something past what is considered just sort of powering through a situation i also usually require either an athletics check or an acrobatics check for things like climbing a rope going up a wall things like that that are that require a bit more physical effort than just pushing through so if you do it in gym class that counts as an athletics check yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just anything that you have to, like, apply a level of exertion that yeah. is more than just pushing or pulling or squeezing through something. That makes sense. It's very highly subjective. <laughs> yeah, because I think that's another that's another thing that I personally noticed whenever I was, like, going through the skills and stuff. I was like, some of these are really close. Mm-hmm, like, insight mm-hmm. versus perception or intelligence versus investigation and like there's certain things where it's like that is such a close hair yeah it's like you could you're splitting hairs there yep like to me like the easiest way for perception inside investigation is insight has to do with people it's somebody that you're looking at or a situation that you're looking at and you're just trying to understand the underlying tone of something this is a vibe check Quite literally, for insight check, that is your vibe check, if there ever was one. Um, For perception, you are making a general, you're giving a general look around, um, trying to notice um, if anything is there. Whereas investigation, you're looking for something specific. So, like, for example, uh, if you are checking for traps... Um, as a rogue, that's an investigation check because you know what you're looking for. Right. Um, or like you roll a general perception check in a person's office. You can see, oh, I see books. I see this and that. But then an investigation check to see, oh, these might be like there might do they have any spell books, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so investigation versus perception is one of them is very specific to like what you're doing. Yes. Like, that would be how you decide. Like, if a player were like, I just want to look around the office, you're like, okay, that's perception. Versus if they're like, I'm looking for their, I'm looking for their file cabinet. That's investigation. Yeah, okay. exactly. It's kind of like, um, I used to teach English as a second language, and so this is kind of where this example is coming from. It's okay. the difference between this versus that, versus saying what is that versus what is this. Right. Um... um so you're looking at you already have the object or you're looking for an object that is very specific versus I'm looking at a broad scope of things and seeing if anything sticks out. Right. Okay. That's a great way of explaining it actually. I think I think that's a really I think that's a really good way of putting that. Mm-hmm. Like 
and on the topic of like combat and stuff how do you go about making like your custom NPCs, your custom monsters, besides from just like, besides like the obvious of like, t- rip a monster from the manual, reskin it, and call it a day, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, NPCs, I try to, I try to give the party people that they think will be interesting, first of all. I try to, I, I like to think that I know my friends and I know what right. kind of people they think are neat. Um, and I like to give, I generally give NPCs classes that I wish I could play or I wish I had more time to play. So that way I can sort of live vicariously through my D&D campaign. I think it's important to remember that you as the DM are a player as well, despite mm-hmm. the fact that you are doing the most labor-intensive act of service you probably ever will in your life. <laughs> um, but as far as monsters, generally it starts with a concept. It starts about what I want to achieve with the monster. Um, a lot of people love dragons because dragons are so multi-purpose um in which they don't have to be evil they don't have to be this or that but they are iconic prolific figures that then can also be humanoid when they decide to be um but generally shout out golden horde shout out to golden horde (laughs) Think, thinking about her, Raishan. Um, um, girl boss. Um, <laughs> no, you, you want to, you want to base your monster around the purpose that they will serve. Um, what kind of statement are you trying to make with the thing that you want your players to fight? Um, if you're making your own monster, you always want to be conscious that they're not playing any into any kind of stereotyping or anything like that. That's actually, for me, a personal thing, is that I don't put goblins in any of my campaigns. Um, I don't allow my players to play goblins either, because they're a massively anti-Semitic stereotype. Um, and until Wizards of the Coast decides to do something about it, I don't allow them in my campaigns. But... Um, you want to look for, you want to look for concept and purpose, and then as far as, like, stat blocking goes, it's kind of just what makes sense. Um, like, I gave, I gave my players these things called Riddle Wisps that were, um, fey creatures that, um, they, they quite literally feed off of intelligence, and so they garner energy from um asking riddles and getting correct answers but um if they decided to take a swing at it the smaller an object is the higher its ac is because it's harder to hit um and then you think about like we're saying it's a fey creature so it's probably immune to charm because all existing fey creatures are immune to charm so we got that squared away um but it's a small fey creature. It really only exists to tell riddles. So it probably can't do a lot. So it doesn't have any physical attacks. But maybe it can cast Charm Person. Because all fey can do that. Things like that. You just kind of... You kind of want to like... Start with your concept. And then just start thinking about the things that make sense. Right. Um, and would it be funny if you could hit this thing once with a baseball bat. And it would go poof? 
probably. So it's got like 10 hit points. Um, <laughs> I've seen some very funny concepts in like D&D TikTok very specifically regarding that. Like uh, mm-hmm. very weak monsters, like of the Sans Undertale variety, where it's like they have one hit point, but they're completely immune to magic or something yeah. like that. Um, yep. I've done that before where I had a monster that was immune to all damage unless it was given with improvised weapons. Yes, I think I saw (laughs) something similar to that. Yes, exactly. So hitting it with any weapons wouldn't work, but if you threw a rock at it, it would die. (laughs) God. (laughs) I can't imagine how long that took for them to realize. A while. (laughs) But it was very funny when it was over, and that's what matters. You're so right. It's about yeah. what makes it funnier. It is. Honestly, like, so much about D&D is just kind of writing your own little love, layer, lo- love letter to your players. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we all want to have a good time, regardless of how, regardless of the tone of our story, we want to have fun. Even if it's horror, even if it's psych thriller. Regardless of what's going on, we want to have a good time. And so, right. so much of the effort goes into just making sure that um, we're giving our players something that they'll have fun with, even when it gets hard. And that's right. honestly just something that comes with time. It's hard to do with play- people that you've never played with before. Mm-hmm. Um, because learning their boundaries is a thing that comes with time. So normally what I would do in the situation of a new party is start them off with just some easy stuff stuff that you didn't have to put a lot of time into thinking about that way you can get a feel for what they're like in combat how they kind of view new situations and then you can use that knowledge to then give them something a little bit more spicy but then that way you didn't have to waste your effort in the beginning and give them something that might not have meshed very well with them as a group right i think that makes a lot of sense session zeros are a big help for that yeah no uh yesterday i just started another campaign as you know because uh our our mutual friend was the one hosting it but Mm -hmm. uh he did a session zero first and he was like okay are you guys cool with x y and z and we were all Mm -hmm. like yes we're fine with x y and z however we'll let you know if that changes and he was like great so yes. do you, then do you want to proceed with session one if we're all on the same page there? Okay, yes. great. Perfect. What I do is I generally, when I get a new group, is I'll make them a survey on yes. um, just like Google Forms being mm-hmm. like, like, what are you, what are you hoping to get out of this campaign? What are your concerns regarding the theme of this campaign? What are you excited for? And then a list of like, Do you have any full stop triggers that I need to know about? Do you have things that aren't full stops but would make you a little bit uncomfortable to hear about? Um, And then my parties, we operate on a stoplight system Mm -hmm. um, in which any of my players at any time are welcome to tune out for something or any of my players at any time, if we get into a topic accidentally that just hits somewhere that they didn't think about initially, they can... They can hit us with a red light. We will stop. We'll get up, take a 10-minute break, and then we'll talk out of character about how to proceed to make sure that that discomfort does not continue. Mm. 
I think that's a good way of handling that. Uh, I'm just gonna make the tagline of this series, communication is key at this point. It is, it is, in all walks of life. (laughs) Like, every, I'm sure if somebody, like, goes back and listens to every single episode, they're going to see that the theme that keeps coming up, like, Haley said it, Gus said it, you said it, I'm sure Dylan's gonna say it. Communication is the main point of a good D&D campaign, and that's Mm -hmm. what's going to make things important that's what's going to make things good yeah and it's it is incredibly important to remember that for yourself as a dungeon master as well because in my main campaign i did recently run into a situation where the story based on a decision that the player made became incredibly triggering for me and so that's a point where then you take a step back and you say here's how we're going to proceed We're not going to be ashamed of having to do some things off screen because maybe some things are just uncomfortable for us to talk about, but we'll push through the discomfort and then we'll move on. And then it'll, it'll, it'll all work out. That's the thing. It's like sometimes people just need to cool off. Sometimes you'll never hit those things. Um, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as DMs to have everything perfect um, and that's just not the case, especially because a lot of us are coming into D&D off of listening to The Adventure Zone, listening to Critical Role, listening to Dimension 20. The Matthew coming... Mercer effect. <laughs> it's not even necessarily the Matthew Mercer effect because I started dungeon, dungeon mastering after being held gently in the um, tender lily white hands of Griffin McElroy. <laughs> um, and so, but the thing is, is that we can't all be Griffin, we can't all be Matt, and we can't right. all be Brendan Lee Mulligan. At the exactly. end of the day, like, storytelling in and of itself is such a subjective art form, um, and every single person will do it differently, and there's no right way to be a DM. I think that there's definitely a wrong way to be a a DM, but there's not many. And if you're even remotely concerned about the idea of being, of doing it wrong, you're not doing it wrong. (laughs) Right. Like, I guess that kind of, that's kind of where we get into things like dealing with vague wording and interpreting the words that are a bit more, the rules and words that are a bit more wishy-washy, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, how do you deal with it whenever it directly involves players and such? I think it just is what matters to you. You you can look at those words and you can pick and choose. Whatever seems correct to you at the end of the day um, is what it should be. Because, once again, those source books are there to make your life easier, not more difficult. And so if something is confusing to you, then you just want to look at the words and say, like, what do, you, what do I think this means? And then if your players have contention about that, then that's a perfect moment to kind of pause and talk about it and say, well, here's how I interpreted it. But if you're uncomfortable with moving forward with it interpreted that way, then maybe we'll either just try a different thing or... We'll just let it, we'll just let it go this once. A lot of times mm-hmm. I find myself saying, I'll allow it this one time, but next time we need to do it this way. Um, to avoid, avoid the conflict, but also then kind of assert and advocate for yourself as a dungeon master. Like, this is the way that I'm going to run it. But to avoid the conflict, we'll just, we'll let it happen this one time this way, and then we'll move on from there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way of putting it. I think that 
once again, we're coming back to that thing about, like, communicating with people and, like, uh, also advocating for yourself, like, Mm -hmm. and your position, because no DM is an island. No. Yeah, you don't gotta do it alone. That's the point. Absolutely not. Um, at the end of the day, once again, you are a player too, and your voice as a DM doesn't necessarily matter more than the voice of the players, but it definitely matters just as much. Um, and so if you're not be feeling heard by your party, that's not a fault to you as a DM. Um, it's a just general line of miscommunication that just needs to be sort of sorted out before you continue. Do you feel like there's such a thing as, like, caring too much about the rules? Like, the people who oh, care for too sure. much? Oh, for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, different things are different, are Im- more important to different people. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's no shame in, like, agreeing that some people might just not mesh with your play style. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to kind of gently remind those people that, well, I understand that this is how you enjoy it. However, this is how I'm going to be running my game. And you're welcome to continue if you would like to, but I don't plan on changing the way that I run my game. Um, mm. So there's definitely there's definitely a means of caring too much, but then there's also people who don't care enough, and it just kind of is what it is. It's just the way that people like to play and what they personally get out of D&D. Right. And do you ever really begin to feel like you understand what's going on because i there's a lot of people who are like yes i i feel like i don't understand there's so much happening and i feel like i'm never going to be able to get the hang of it yes um you will have that eureka moment everyone does where you for the first time recite something off the top of your head and then you're like wait i think i've actually got it um you will hit that moment. Everyone does. Um, where you'll, one, realize that it's not as hard as it seems. And also that what really matters is if you're having fun and not so much about what's written on the pages of your 800-page book. <laughs> <laughs> How did you how did you begin to become more confident in yourself on that? Um a lot of reassurance from my players that they were having a good time. Um cuz at the end of the day, we no matter how hard we try to say that like not you don't have to be x dm that you've seen or heard. Um everybody falls into the trap of wanting to be the best at what they're doing. Um but you start to see genuine reactions from your players having a good time, and that really begins to kind of build your confidence as a storyteller. Um, it takes practice. It takes a lot of just kind of hoping things are working. Um, but you'll, just like anything, you'll find your groove with it. It's sort of like when you... Um, when you get your first kind of like big role in something or a large position in something, the first time you've been made the leader of a group at school and you feel a little <laughs> bit like the chair is too big, um, you don't know where to put your hands. 
Um, we all have that moment, but then we all start to kind of push through it. It's a matter of looking past the screen of our imposter syndrome and moving forward to, like, your friends put you in this position because they trust you. Um, right. DMing for people takes a lot of trust from them. Um, and if people say that they want you to be their DM, they want you to be their DM. Um. Because characters are so personal to people, and so if someone trusts you enough to hand you their character, they probably care about you a lot. <laughs> I think that's a good place to. I think that's a good place to bookmark it. I think that's a good place to leave people like, hey, you know what? You may not understand what's going on, but they trust you to figure it out. And they that's do. What I promise. It does. Adrian, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for talking to me. <laughs> I'm glad I, I was here. I'm glad yes. that I hope I I hope I told you anything that made any sense. <laughs> you that it was very helpful. You probably have helped a lot of people, myself included. Because I'm glad. Rules are intimidating and scary whenever you're handed like a book that that's, that's this thick of them, and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, now manage these rules. Exactly. Uh, and now it's time for now it's time for the part of the show where I do my spiel like it's late July. <laughs> ha, all right. If you enjoyed this, you can go look. Uh, you can go follow us on Dungeon Amateur at twitter.com If I actually manage to get that handle, if not, I'll probably just dub this over with a different with a different handle. Uh, you can follow us at brainrot underscore presents. Uh, that's presents with no ease on tick on TikTok, Twitter, uh, Patreon. If you want to support us financially, uh, because we're releasing Nemesis right now, and Lukewarm takes us on a break, but that is okay. We're going to be back in August because we're doing like a million things right now. But Prim's playlist is also still going, so we have a lot happening. Uh, you can support us at the t- at fifteen, ten, five, and two dollars. I remembered it. And y- if you are interested in any of that, like I said, you can just follow us on Twitter and go support Nemesign because that's currently releasing. We're probably on episode five, five right now. Because last time in episode three, I said we were probably on episode six. So I gotta <laughs> keep it consistent. And yeah, that's my spiel. Adrian, do you want to like? remind people where they can find you if they don't know and uh all that um sure i mean if you want to come and perceive me you're welcome to do so on tiktok at shonen ojo that's s-h-o-u-n-e-n underscore o-u-j-o it means boy princess in japanese in case you want to know too much about me um It's the same on Instagram, just without the underscore. On Twitter, it's at Trio at B-L-U-M-E-N-T-R-I-O. Um, if you want to talk to me about anything, you're totally welcome to do so. Um, all I do is post art and well, sit well, quietly. Well, I like talking to you. <laughs> we talk all the time outside We of do. This. So... Adrian's very fun, and you should go support. And you should go support. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this has been Dungeon Amateur. Thank you so much. We will be back next week with uh, Hay- with Haley and Gus again. And thank you for listening. <laughs>